welcome to the SAF podcast, brought to you by SAF Investor, where we look at how to get capital into sustainable aviation fuel production. This week, we're delighted to have Stephen Franz with us, who is the CEO and Chief Technology Officer at Cultivate Hemp Solutions. Cultivate Hemp Solutions is a renewable energy development firm that helps airlines and utilities reach carbon negative emissions by supplying them renewable hemp fuel natural gas, electricity, and carbon removal services. So, thank you, Stephen, for taking the time out to speaking to SAF Investor. Uh, we would just like to start uh, with the with your previous experience as a software engineer and how you moved into become a chief technology officer at Cultivate Hem. And if you could just share your journey. Okay. Yeah, so I'm Stephen Fan. Uh, CEO and Chief Technology Officer of Cultivate Hemp Solutions. And I started uh, my career, I studied mathematics at Morehouse College uh, here in Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, out of Morehouse, I was hired by Lockheed Martin to help build their uh, C-130J airplanes. And uh, that's where I learned, I guess, my foundation in software architecture and cloud architecture. I built a platform for them to help maintain manage their uh, airplanes uh, across different military branches. And then from there, I, I went into my own consulting firm and started uh, providing uh, cloud infrastructure migration and software architecture, uh, AI data analytics for Fortune 50 companies. And most of these companies range from the, uh, from the Georgia uh, Pacifics to the AT&Ts, Verizons, um, energy companies, uh, law firms, so pretty much the whole uh, gamut. And so uh, from there, I, um, our, my first startup with iCarriage, uh, we provide did uh, Internet of Things sensors. So basically would um, make fleet vehicles connect to the Internet. And so their fleet managers be able to manage them. Uh, so that's how I, I dove into the Internet of Things, and uh, from there, you know, I took that te- technology to cultivate, and, and where I, I came across uh, hemp, maybe around 2017, and um, with hemp, you know, I found that hemp makes over 50,000 products, including uh, biofuel, uh, concrete replacement. Uh, wood, anything that you can think of in, in your home can essentially be replaced by hemp. Um, many car manufacturers utilize hemp already in their bodies, uh, like BMW and uh, Porsche, for example. And so um, I found that, you know, the in the climate change, you know, uh, sustainability, uh, circular economy, you know, hemp uh, cleans the soil. Um, it grows every 90 days. Uh, and also it it used to be legalized um, before the 2018, it was legalized, but back in, uh, it was used heavily um, back in World War II um, where the U.S. government uh, required farmers to uh, grow hemp. And so that hemp was used for rope, uh, military uniforms and whatnot. Um, and so a lot of my knowledge from hemp uh, in terms of on a scientific level, especially with the biofuel side, um, comes from doing research from, with uh, like George Washington Carver, uh, who uh, was at Tuskegee University, and he worked with Henry Ford to build uh, the first hemp car. 
Um, and so even to this day, like Henry Ford uh, donated a whole museum to uh, George Washington Carver to uh, of his inventions and including, you know, his contributions to hemp. So, you know, what I found is that with hemp, uh, you know, it is key to uh, scaling jet fuel sustainability uh, because for one, it doesn't compete with corn. Um, it doesn't compete or with other foods, uh, feedstocks um, and it's unlimited supply. So kind of in a nutshell, that was kind of the reason why I got into sustainable aviation fuel. Perfect. Yeah, that's very interesting. The variety of uses for hemp is significantly getting noticed. And as you mentioned, everything in everything that we can think of is probably replaceable by hemp material, even if it's packaging or anything else. Uh, but let's just come to cultivate then. I mean, what 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 exactly are the operations that you do at Cultivate and kind of give us an overview of the company and uh, what kind of a technological re readiness you have at the moment? Which ASTMs do you qualify for exactly? Okay. Yeah, so we Cultivate, um, you know, we have a world-class team of engineers, uh, marketing, PR, uh, business development in which we have, uh, for one, we are the first company in the world to get um, our hemp a biofuel ASTM tested, and we were able to do that at a co-pilot refinery in Lake Charles, Louisiana, here in the United States. And um, currently, we have been accepted into uh, the City of New Orleans uh, an Opportunity Hub incubator uh, to provide clean energy for New Orleans, uh, Louisiana, which the state of Louisiana, in general, is a major uh, in, in provides a lot of infrastructure for the oil and gas industry. And so it's uh, key for us uh, working with the economic development, uh, Greater New Orleans, um, in which they are providing us with a number of resources to uh, expand our operations outside in Louisiana. Um, so that's currently where we are. And, and you know, we were able to get our field tested uh, two years ago, um, as mentioned in Lake Charles. And since then, uh, we've learned a, a lot about how to manipulate hemp to uh, create other products from uh, green, green hydrogen, renewable diesel, uh, renewable gasoline, um, and renewable natural gas. And so um, with our pathways, uh, we're able to convert our hemp to renewable natural gas. And then in a, in a gas format, we're then able to convert it to a portfolio of clean energy products. Interesting. So with, with Special focus on SAF, how much do you think is the potential for hemp to kind of satiate the demand that is coming in for SAF around the world, especially given the mandates? Oh, honestly, we are in the perfect position uh, to decarbonize uh, aviation. And the reason why is because of the versatility of hemp. You know, as mentioned, it grows every 90 days. It's uh, climate adverse, so it's able to grow in pretty much any environment, as long as the soil isn't frozen. Um, of course, it, it performs a lot better in uh, more uh, warmer climates, of course. Um, however, with the the issue with sustainability, uh, sustainable aviation fuel right now, you know, companies like Neste, Shell, World Energy, none of these companies are able to actually meet the demand of these airlines. And when I talk to our customers, uh, they tell us like, hey, we need 10 million gallons a month at this location, you know, and these companies have airports all over the world. 
And, you know, when you start looking at the numbers of how much as a world we consume, you have to have a scalable feedstock. Uh, and the truth is, is that you can make uh, sustainable aviation fuel from anything. You can make it from old grease from restaurants. You can make it from trash. Uh, but the, the truth is, is that with hemp, it is the superior feedstock for sustainable aviation fuel because it's carbon negative. And a great thing about hemp is that when it grows in that 90 days, for every one ton uh, of hemp that yields, 1.25 metric tons is uh, consumed by the plant as a sink. And so the, the difference between us and other companies that make sustainable aviation fuel is that we uh, convert the waste into and store the carbon uh, dioxide into hemp bricks. And with the hemp bricks, uh, we are able to sell them to commercial developers uh, that, for example, uh, one developer is, is potentially going to use our hemp bricks for their uh, for, for refrigeration um, building out in Philadelphia, for example. You know, and so we're able to utilize uh, in the United States, we have the Inflation Reduction Act tax bill, which essentially says if you produce uh, biofuel or clean energy, that reduces emissions, uh, then you're able to uh, sell those tax credits uh, on the market and get paid for them. Um, it's carbon tax credits or directly from uh, the, the government and then also uh, statewide. So if you're in California, there's LCS, uh, Chicago, uh, Illinois has their own. A number of states are adopting California's uh, framework and providing even more incentives for producers like ourselves. So, and you know, the great thing is that with hemp, we're able to, as mentioned, we're able to supply the fuel and the hemp where our customers demand is. So for example, we have a uh, logistics customer we are finalizing contracts with where they um, have six cities that they want our sustainable aviation fuel. And we're the only company in the world that can provide that at those locations at a competitive price because we don't have to ship the feedstock out the country, process it and bring it back like other companies, you know, it's grown locally. Uh, and so when it's grown locally, a lot of the logistics costs we don't have. And uh, because we're able to overgrow, we're able to store that hemp for a significant amount of time. So just on many levels, you know, from having unlimited supply from local farmers, from hemp being carbon negative, uh, that hemp is able to grow in 90 days. It doesn't compete with food uh, and it has over 50,000 byproducts. So we have numerous revenue streams that we're able to produce just from one acre of hemp. Uh, so that's the reason why, you know, we have been producing uh, and working in hemp biofuel since uh, 2018, 2019, since it was uh, legalized. And, you know, with me and my team's background, uh, in aviation, you know, built military airplanes. Uh, we're the best in the world at what we, we do. And so it's great that we're, you know, finally getting recognized, as mentioned, with uh, the city of New Orleans and Opportunity Hub uh, as that incubator is working to provide us resources to expand our operations. Uh, absolutely, we'll be able to decarbonize uh, aviation. Interesting. Interesting that you mentioned customers, right? One of the logistics that is show that has shown interest with you. So, I mean, 
what kind of customers do you have shown you the most interest where do you see the pockets of demand for hemp self and also um in terms of the in terms of the supply where do you get the most of it i mean i know that you mentioned it is grown locally but are you involved in that process of growing hemp or is it just refining yes so uh, we have a co-op farmers program in which farmers and co-ops are able to sign up with us and what they do is they basically uh, send us their soil samples uh, working with their local county and they you know may provide 10 acres or we have some farmers that have up to 20,000 acres uh, of farmland these are large operations who grow uh, maybe like rice or wheat and so they um, grow in in addition with hemp as um, as a as a crop that allows hemp uh, increases the yield of other crops so they use it as a rotational crop uh, so when I say we have the feedstock I mean we have farmers in Texas, Louisiana, California, Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, um, Illinois. Uh, we even have farmers in South Africa, Nigeria, uh, Tanzania, and uh, Jamaica. Uh, and so these are farmers who are in countries who've been growing hemp on their own. And so um, by entering to these sustainable aviation fuel offtake agreements, we're able to pass those long-term uh, contracts. And we're talking about 10 to 20 year contracts to the farmers. And in that, in that manner, uh, they're able to, you know, uh, plan out and schedule all of their operations uh, to supply on a commercial level demand, so. Interesting, interesting, yep. Um, so kind of taking that uh, conversation forward, I think, much of the debate around SAF has been its cost, which is significantly higher compared to the conventional jet fuel. Uh, how do you see hemp uh, kind of solving that problem for the SAF fuel? And what are the cost dynamics of hemp production, uh, SAF produced using hemp essentially? Yes, so the great thing about our product is we're able to be cost competitive with a traditional jet fuel because uh, hemp is carbon negative and because of the 50,000 byproducts, essentially we make most of our money from the carbon storage and the carbon credits because it's carbon negative. And the, the fuel is kind of a additional cherry on top financially. Um, and then because we store that carbon in hemp bricks, we're able to sell those hemp bricks at a competitive price to traditional building material to commercial developers. And so as a result, uh, we were able to make our bottom line uh, profitable even without tax credits. I mean, what's capacity of cultivator uh, at the moment in terms of refining or hemp processing? Uh, right now, we are entering into agreements of anywhere between 1 million to 10 million gallons a month per customer. Uh, so with our customers, you know, they just don't want it in one location. So they lean on us on a logistics level to um, coordinate with the farmers, coordinate with the, and bring the supply chain to be able to supply them in multiple locations. Um, and so that was a big uh, problem for many customers is that, yes, you know, they, you know, sustainable aviation fuel has been around for quite some time um, and it's nothing new. So the big issue is with customers is can you supply your fuel 
in multiple locations at a cost competitive price, and we are able to. Okay, I mean, how does that process go? I mean, you buy the hemp off of somebody in Atlanta, let's say, and then somebody asks us to deliver in Las Vegas. So you process it in Atlanta, you process it in Las Vegas, how do you go about it? Yes, yeah, so currently we've uh, only processed our fuel in Lake Charles, Louisiana. Um, but what we're doing is we're building more modular refineries um, closer to where the demand is. So basically by major airports, uh, the Atlanta airport, Hartsfield, uh, LAX airport uh, in Chicago. We have a customer who wants a lot of fuel out there, um, of course, in Houston and Dallas. Uh, so by all these major airports, we have local farmers who have been growing hemp for years, um, who have large farming operations. And so essentially we buy the hemp from them and then we process it in our refineries and then we sell the fuel to our customers by uh, pipeline. And so we've uh, situated partnerships with uh, major pipelines to distribute that jet fuel to the airports. What's the CAPEX requirement for a model refinery that you just mentioned? Uh, cap, uh, CapEx, it can range. I mean, they're expensive. Um, you know, I'll say anywhere between 100 million to 300 million is on the small side. Um, so. So you have partnership with other producers or are you doing all of this by yourself? The expansions uh, as well? Yes, we are uh, working with a producer in Lake Charles for that location. And then we are bringing on other uh, partners, you know, if it makes sense. Okay, I mean, so so also you, uh, the pitch tech that you mentioned also mentions a virtual refinery, right? I'd like you to kind of ex discuss that particular aspect of um, uh, of the cultivated company as in how does that operate? You say on the refining side? Yes, the virtual, uh, you mentioned that it's a virtual power plant. Cultivated oh, yes. Renewable energy. Yes. Yes, so uh, what we're working on in New Orleans uh, in particular um, is building a virtual power plant. And so what a virtual power plant is essentially um, with cultivators that it is a portfolio of modular refineries that provide, um, is powered by AI that is able to provide energy based off demand. So for example, New Orleans is uh, has uh, been hit by a number of hurricanes over the years and flooding is a big issue. So because New Orleans is uh, is below sea level, kind of like a bowl, flooding is is uh, happens regularly. Um, and so when that happens, energy, oftentimes people lose power. So what we're building is a virtual power plant for New Orleans so that if one section of the city loses power, then the system uh, platform is able to distribute generators powered by our renewable diesel uh, to provide electricity in those areas. And so um, this is all built uh, from our own internal uh, technology team. Um, I'm the architect. And so uh, this has been tested already commercially um, with an, some commercial companies. Um, and so, but now it's much bigger because we're providing energy for a, a major city. Interesting. Um, so there's another thing that I just wanted to discuss with you with regards to hemp. I mean, you mentioned that it's, you also have, it also works for, for carbon removal services. And 
you provide scope one, two, and three emotion, uh, emissions offsets. How do you? How does the company do that? Yes. So uh, carbon removal services. So essentially, it's kind of a similar to the same process that we make the fuel, uh, and so that when we produce fuel, we have uh, a great deal of carbon dioxide and byproducts. So as a carbon removal service. Uh, customers say, hey, I want a, uh, you know, a million tons of carbon dioxide stored for, let's say, 50, 100 years, whatever the, the contract may require. And what we do is we store that uh, the carbon dioxide in hempcrete bricks, and then we uh, sell those bricks to commercial developers, single family homes. And then we're able to track the, the carbon that's stored, essentially because it's a, a physical building. Uh, and able to report that to the customer. And uh, with that model, we're able to prevent uh, carbon leakage, as they say. I mean, let's kind of take a, uh, like a, a, from a vantage point of regulations, right? Uh, are you you're currently solely focused on, as, as, as I understand, in the US alone? Uh, you do not have any operations in Europe. Are you planning to kind of move provide these solutions in Europe or are you just going to stick with us for a moment and. No, we're actually, uh, we're, uh, currently, uh, after our capital raise, we would like to expand to, uh, Europe, uh, specifically in, uh, the UK and Germany, uh, Germany, because they're such a heavy industrial, uh, country, you know, um, renewable, uh, natural gas and hydrogen is, uh, is a very big, uh, commodity there and also you know with the eu passing uh the sustainable aviation fuel requirements for airlines and logistics companies uh we're absolutely uh trying to expand into europe interesting but regulatory nature of us and europe is significantly different one has a carrot another kind of operates with a stick how do you think is and also with regards to your folk uh, with regards to your understanding of the hemp local hemp production with, within Europe because your entire USP depends on competitive pricing because you source uh, hemp locally. Wouldn't that change in Europe? Uh, yeah, so we utilize uh, index pricing. Uh, so like, for example, um, we use specifically like for our US customers, we use plats. Um, and so as long as we attach our uh, aviation fuel pricing to index, our plan is to also, um, with our logistics customer that we're working with, uh, they have operations in Europe. So our plan is to work with them to help us, you know, kind of uh, walk us through the, the regulations in, in Europe. But definitely, you know, we're not, definitely don't want to underestimate the differences between the U.S. and uh, Europe. But we're confident that uh, with our uh, customers that they will, who th those who do have European operations, that they'll help us to uh, comply okay let's let's kind of discuss the offtakes right you have offtake commitments from existing clients within us would you kind of give us a ballpark as to how much they are and how many years do they run into the size and volume yeah so the agreements uh, that our customers want are typically so on the we have a number of products so i'll say specifically on the the SAF, uh, they're typically uh, in the seven to to twenty year range. Uh, so customers want long term, 
and uh, commitment. And then also from an economic standpoint, uh, the, the longer the contract for us, uh, the better the terms, uh, especially even with the farmers. So it just makes things much easier the longer the contract. Uh, but we try to uh, stay within that seven to, to 20 year range. <laughs>